I'm Mike Walsh, and you're listening to Between Worlds, the show that takes you over the horizon and beyond borders to bring you the global thinkers, innovators, and troublemakers whose ideas challenge the world as we know it. Here it's a beautiful spring afternoon. We're in Paris uh, in the Buddha Bar Hotel. Uh, it's the middle of Fashion Week. Um, and I'm here with Tariq Krim, who's one of the original French digital luminaries. Um, Tariq, we, we met quite a few years ago, didn't we? we Absolutely, 2008. Uh, we'll speak at a conference together, that's right. Exactly. <laughs> and Tariq's got an amazing story. He's a, a thought leader, an entrepreneur, an innovator. Um, substantial entry on Wikipedia. Uh, the, the thing I think I liked the best was that uh, you... Um, set up your first Minitel server at age 12. <laughs> yes, it's a, a, a complete um, um, interesting story about the fact, you know, we usually, uh, we usually uh, compare the two, two types of people, we call the digital natives and the digital immigrants. The digital natives pretty much uh, lived, started their life with a computer and uh, finally I was, I was lucky enough to be in a similar position, but in the 70s. And, um, <laughs> It's a very funny story. I, uh, the first time I actually got in touch with a computer, we were with our teacher, and they brought us to this science fair in Paris. And uh, there was this place where there was this computer, and you would just uh, type something on the keyboard, and the computer would start speaking with a voice, an electronic voice. Very 70s, you know, uh, vocoded electronic voice. And it was f- fantastic for me. It was amazing. And I just saw the guy typing on the keyboard. And um, the moment the guy went to explain to the others how it works, I just got in front of the computer and typing, well, barely spoke at him, I just knew how to type my name. So I started typing my name and press enter like the guy did. And of course, the machine started uh, speaking and I, the, the machine hasn't even finished to speak when I, I actually felt someone pinching my ear and it was my <laughs> teacher who said, don't touch this, you're gonna break the computer. And the scientist who had actually uh, you know, they were like uh, chemists. They had the, uh, the you know, the white uh, doctor blouse. Uh, they were almost like scientists. Looked at me with a big smile, and for me, I took it like, "Welcome to the club." <laughs> and that was <laughs> the beginning of a fantastic adventure in the world of digital. And I, and then um, France was among one of the pioneer countries who tried to. That was visionary at the time. They said, "Well, we have the." Um, we have the white, uh, the yellow pages, and the yellow pages cost us a fortune in paper, and you have to provide it in every single home. What if we turn that into a small device, a dumb device, but we put for free in every home, and uh, and on the top of that, we'll create alternative services. But at the time, all the services were actually designed for uh, for large companies. And uh, one day, I, I was in. Um, we were we had an exchange student. And he came uh, uh, in our in our um, in our school, and he was the only one really having an interest as well with me in computers. And uh, he said to me, "Call me, um, call me tonight on this number." And um, so I called the number, and I just listened to the the tone of a computer. So I clicked on the Minitel and said, "Connect." And I discovered we were connected to his uh, little Commodore. Uh, it was uh, uh, one of the popular computers uh, back in the days. And um, it blew my mind because suddenly I discovered that not only the big, large corporation had access to this, but I could. So suddenly, 
we could take advantage of a multi-billion dollar infrastructure mm. created by the government to exchange information. You know, it's extraordinary when you look at France's early moves in, in, the, in the digital space, because I mean, really, they were global leaders, you know, in this kind of technology. They were global leaders in two things, this, and the second one is, uh, we invented the CNIL that was the first organization who was here to protect people on private and personal data. Right. And because at the time, um, people, some people envisioned that the fact that we create database of people, a very precise database of people through computerized uh, access, would actually be a risk for society. And that was 78. It was, it was really interesting how we were far in advance and then how late we got to start because, of course, the, the Minitel was an old-school technology, very centralized network. Right. And, um, Do you think it was kind of almost like a, a manifestation of the Napoleonic bureaucracy come to life? I mean, I mean France has always been very you know, successful in creating institutions and, and, and systems. Absolutely, and in a way it, it is, but also it opened access to e-commerce. We had e-commerce in 82, 84. You could buy with your credit card on the Minitel it was, and delivered. Hmm. I mean, this is, I'm talking about 1984, 1982. <laughs> it's unbelievable. But you know, it's funny because, I mean, uh, one of the things you're much famous of, of course, is creating NetVibes, which was one of the original um, successful European digital companies. But, you know, since then, there haven't been from France a lot of uh, breakout successes. Do you think there's been some sort of conflict between French values and innovation since those days? It's interesting because uh, over the course of, uh, of the last year, I've been uh, asked to advise the government on innovation, and uh, I did a report, and the report was based on talent. And my idea was rather than focusing on the infrastructure, I was going to focus on the people. And so I gave a list of 100 top engineers in France who wrote uh, Google, Gmail, Actually, the original iPhone was built in Paris. Really? Yes. Uh, Jean-Marie Hulot. The, the prototype? Everything. Jean-Marie Hulot, was, uh, who's the, uh, the city of Next, who's the guy who invented Objective-C, and uh, he was part of it. He, he, he came with the idea of saying, we should do a phone, and then they, they, they had the team, and then one day the team was, was sent back to... Uh, it's a longer story, but I'm not sure I can actually discuss publicly <laughs> here, but... Um, we've been on the verge of many, many interventions. If you look in, and when you look into Tesla, into SpaceX, into any of these companies, you actually see that you have, we had a great talent. So the problem is not about the, 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 the talent. Uh, it's really about the fact that what something changed with the internet is that distributed smaller team can have a global impact. Hmm. And anytime France wants to do something, they believe it's going to be a top, top decision. Think about it, Google appeared and then a few presidents in Europe, including our French president, uh, decided by signing a treaty that we would have a European uh, search engine. It was, of course, a total disaster, but that shows that... Because the whole interface would have to be in French, right? Or <laughs> actually, the German were in there too. You know, I usually uh, I usually blame the French, but the German, everybody. Would. But the fact that you would decide administratively that a search engine would appear. Right rather than investing or enabling teams to build stuff. So do you think Europe has always traditionally more worked on a, a permission-driven innovation model where you, you get licenses and regulations and it's top-down as opposed to the bottom-up Silicon Valley approach? I think uh, I, was, I always said, you know, people say, why, do you, why are you like, where all your ideas are coming from? And I said, living in Paris and you just seen the city, it's unbelievable. We, um, we have to deal with history. We have to deal with existing. 
So it's really hard to challenge the existing when the existing is so beautiful. You go to the Louvre and you go to around Paris, and uh, why should you do a new disruptive building when we don't disrupt Paris, do you? No. <laughs> when if you tear down apart the warehouse in Mountain View. And to replace it with something else, nobody's going to actually cry. It's interesting though when you look at the history of Paris. I mean, at some point it was disrupted. I mean, uh, you know, uh, the Houseman actually leveled most of the city to create the aesthetic view of Paris. Absolutely, absolutely. So it comes by revolutions, and I'm pretty pretty sure a revolution is about to come. Mm. I mean, there's so much to be to be done. When you think about the sharing economy, uh, um, the uh, you, did you know by uh, by uh, Airbnb? biggest market is Paris. Really? It's the number one market in the world. Well, given how expensive hotels are here, I'm <laughs> exactly. surprised. <laughs> and, uh, it's, it probably has to do with the fact that Paris is a... Is a but, you know, it's funny because you see like all these tourists coming to Paris and the airport is ludicrous. The transportation hasn't been really disrupted yet. Mm. And there's, a, there's room for innovation. But uh, I think, yes, the, you have a top-down, but also the fact that we have a generation of politicians that are educated during the Cold War. So we don't really understand today's situation at the pre-internet era. So we don't really understand. We still see the computer as a tool when it's an enabler of a new world. Mm. And uh, we don't understand a new world. And sometimes they don't want a new world to, uh, uh, to exist. You know, uh, they, uh, um, they, you know, they don't want to be, become the disrupted because politicians will be part of the disrupted. Well, I mean, the, the exception to this is luxury. Uh, in the luxury space, French brands have, have, have dominated Absolutely. For, it's, for, for a long time. And, and I, I guess as you see now Apple looking to release that expensive gold watch. And, and to some extent, the technology is now starting to overlap into a higher margin, different vision of, of product design. Yes, absolutely. And the funny thing is that they're hiring now. Most, most of their new uh, hires are from the luxury, uh, Yves Saint Laurent, Burberry's. And... Um, that's interesting because uh, uh, I actually believe that uh, uh, some people, especially Bernard Arnault and the LVMH, understand the power of brands hmm. and leveraging that, uh, you know, art of Eve and lifestyle. And um, the, the thing is, I'm trying to push toward an idea that we have a French, we had a French touch in music, but we also have a French touch in technology. And that's what I was trying to do with NetVibe, so like we, we like care about design, we care about and uh, about product, but also I think there's a different, there's a fundamental difference between Silicon Valley and and, and, and Europe. We're a country of culture, you know, of uh, history. We value um, taking the time, you know, with the slow movement in Italy for food. Uh, and I, I actually advocate for a slow movement as well with technology, oh, where it's not about only, you know, the fear of missing out. I, I wrote a, a post about it called The Age of Emotion, where Technology should interfere with your genuine emotions, like we're just talking, and because of some, uh, you know, uh, Facebook or Twitter or any of these things would interrupt or, you know, interesting conversation. Why do ARPs have been designed on the idea of interrupting you during the day when we should just be, you know, part of you? So, so for you, slow technology is more about being present uh, as opposed to sort of a slow signal. Yes, <laughs> and, and going against the, what I call the plus one uh, you know, innovation. If you go every year, you go to the, uh, the Mobile World Congress and right. you have the plus one. So you had the S5 and now you just do plus one, you have the S6. Is it better? Is it generally different? No, it's just... Uh, you What's know, worse was the plus half, like it's the 5S. Yes. <laughs> usually they say the half part are better than you know, the 5S. is usually a better version than the... Uh, <laughs> 
But, but you know what I mean? It's like suddenly uh, when people saw the iPad uh, sales plummeting, people just discovered, do I really need to buy an iPad every two years? Mm. I offered my, my mom an iPad 2 and it's perfectly good. It still works well. Yes. So And the phones are, are also pretty good. I think what's what needs to change is um, the relation we have with the technology and the apps. And it's still very hard because... Uh, there's a competition for attention. Well, it's, it's also very different to the, I guess, the European concept of a consumer good, which should improve with age and get better through use. And uh, in some ways, there's a, there's a difference in the design approaches of um, Silicon Valley versus it's, Europe. It's planned obsolescence. It's uh, and it has a, an impact on the ecology as well because uh, we take a great deal of you know earth materials to build these things, and uh, that's what I'm. I'm uh, intrigued by the idea that Raspberry Pi or the Fairphone were actually built in Europe. And phone in Europe, or even with Jolie Cloud, our idea was initially to say we build a cloud OS, and that cloud OS will sit in your old computer. But in the meantime, that was one of the struggles I had with the company, is we were explaining that you can use this old computer and you can put a new OS. It's based on Linux, it's super fast, it uses Chrome, it's the fastest browser, and you are connected to the future. Mm. You don't need to put more money in the hardware, but people are still lining up because they want the new thing. We live in a hyper-consumerist uh, uh, you know, era, and I think when I see Louis Vuitton and when I see Apple, they're like similar companies. They're creating a luxury product, specialized retail, great marketing, but then it's all about you know consuming, consuming, consuming. What happens to these products later is always intrigues me. When I was lived in Hong Kong, there's a whole established market for last season's handbags. You know, there's a very famous store there called Milan Station where you could actually buy 70% of the value, like whatever the handbag was being sold last season. And of course, our technologies, you always wonder what happens to our phones when we don't use them anymore. Uh, a lot of them get sold to the third world and emerging markets, but yes. you know, we don't often, as you did, I think, originally with Jolly Cloud, think about how do we optimize software to make these devices more useful? There's, there's two questions, and I think one of the, uh, uh, if you look at the, the Google Vision, that is basically the phone being an antenna. The, your Android phone is a Google antenna. It records everything. Now, I think you can move just half an inch a phone, and it will be detected. It's insane. So we, if you're nervous and you have your phone in your hand and you're like just moving it, shaking your phone, and Apple or Google will know about it. Mm. And they can, uh, at some point, adapt advertising not only based on where you are and who you are, but also on which states. I think it's why I see um, the um, all the wearables market um, very exciting, but also scary, because how can you say a company like Google selling McDonald's and Kraft food products that are just gonna make you, you know, it's bad for your health in the same time sells you the Google Wear and tells you we're going to make you a better, healthy person. Same company. You know, there's a lot of paradox that we need uh, to think. And, and the idea that the, the future of culture is, and one of our French ministers said that, and I was shocked, that the future of culture is an algorithm telling you which book you should read based on what you've read before. If this is culture, I want to shoot myself right now. But it's even more worse if the algorithm actually wrote the book. Yes. <laughs> yeah, probably a lot of it. You know, there is a story about now computerized algorithm responding in blog posts. And but in one day, everything that you would read have been generated by computers, and there's nothing <laughs> out of value, like you know, like an echo chamber of uh, infinite. It's 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 crazy. I'm I'm really um, I signed a petition with uh, with uh, 
um, um, you know, um, about the danger of uh, AI uh, and um, uh, Elon Musk signed it, Bill Gates signed it, because I'm, uh, I'm scared about the world where we, um, I don't believe man will, uh, will be replaced by a machine, but I think uh, the machine will have an impact by removing the pain, removing the, everything that is hard in our life, we just put us in like we're gonna be living vegetables, connected living vegetables, mm. and I'm scared that about option. You know, right now you're in any city, you you know when you were walking the dog and you had the leash, but now you're the dog and the leash is connected to your GPS, the Google GPS that just tells you you should go there and there and there and there, and you don't even question it, because if you're in Prague or Tokyo, especially Tokyo where you can't actually read anything, you will just you know follow follow this uh, direction like. Uh, it's quite hard making that argument, I guess, when you're surrounded by techno-optimists. Uh, you know, we were talking before, and you said it's almost this kind of religion now, where if it's, uh, if it's mobile and it's an app, it must be good, must, it must save the world, and it must be cool. Yes. And, I mean, it's, uh, Eugenie Morozov is, uh, is uh, an interesting writer, uh, wrote about this, called it The Solutionism, and uh, his book is funny. It's To Save the World, Click Here. And it's actually an interesting, uh, very naive idea. But also, it's what is... I think it is, um, you know, we, we age, we are like, we are like older than, um, we're not in our 20s anymore. But I, I find fascinating that most of the apps that are designed today for people to communicate are either written by very young, young engineers. And also a lot of people that have awkward social communication, you know, geeks, we don't really, I would say usually Asperger type, you know, yeah. uh, actually are building the apps to let us communicate more. I just found this paradox uh, very interesting. But also, I, I don't think the, um, when you go into Google or when you go into Apple, you also get stuck in the vision of the world that has been designed by a very small amount of people. And uh, one of the reasons I did Jolly Cloud and not building an app was I wanted to build an interface. I wanted to build a global proposition. I didn't want to write on someone else's rules. And uh, today, if you go on Google, if you go on Apple, uh, you have to follow all these rules. And I found it interesting as an entrepreneur that now is, is the best time ever to be an entrepreneur. And you have so many rules to follow if you want to do an app, if you want to be successful, if you want to grow your business. And sometimes I just, you know, screw the rules. You know? <laughs> just do whatever you want. And uh, I hope that uh, the next iteration of technology will be people building not a, a copy of Gmail, but a world where we don't have to live in this bureaucracy because every day you wake up, you have to answer your emails, hmm. no matter what. If you don't like photos on your friend's Facebook or Instagram, they believe you don't, you don't love them anymore. Yeah. <laughs> and you have to go and rate all the stuff. You suddenly have to, to be socially active with your digital footprint. And I think this is exhausting us. And that energy we spend is not spent on creating, on becoming ourselves becoming generally yourself that is what technology was supposed to do when I was when I started I thought technology would help me grow as a person and be myself and now I feel technology is about reducing people to just you know self-expression photos on Instagram and just trying to be generic so our tools have not only become our masters they've they're actually forcing us to do activities which are not in our best interest yes which serve a broader purpose whether it's selling more advertising or collecting more data we're talking we we're talking just before about you know quality of content I mean now when everybody <laughs> speaks about everything all the time and the funny thing is now we, with Wikipedia you can have a basic knowledge about everything <laughs> <laughs> it uh, when you talk to true experts uh, the first thing that 
I love about true experts when you talk about any subject, it, it's not as easy as it seems. Because <laughs> the truth is, whatever subject you're into, it's never as easy as it seems. And now we created that you know, sense of simplicity. Everything mm -hmm. is simple, you'll be able to do this and that. Everybody can be a photographer, everybody can be a musician, everybody can be, become a journalist. Remember the citizen journalism? And but it's all wafer thin, and you know I, I worry when we get more contextual computing and um, you know wearables and augmented reality, everyone's going to be a dinner party expert, but they'll all be telling the same jokes and stories. Yes, because it'll be, <laughs> it'll be <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, whatever quote of the day has been served up to a million other people in the same context. That was what's happening already with with Facebook. If you look at the timeline of Facebook, it's fascinating because first. I'm connected to so, so many interesting people and everything I have daily on my timeline are just crap. And the reason is if you have to associate advertising uh, with, with content, you will find the lowest common denominator. It's like what I call you know, the music uh, choice party uh, product. It's why everyone listens to Michael Jackson or you know, the usual suspect during a party. Because you don't have the lowest common denominator. Because if you start to be more you know, trendy or something more specialized, everybody will just get out of the dance floor and say, oh, what's this? If you put beat it, everybody will come back. It's kind of a you know, junction. And now we have this uh, kind of paradox on, on, on Facebook to actually create attention and, and to create content that can be socially distributed to a wide number of people. You need to lower the quality of the content and you need to lower um, the, you know, the, the, the narrative and the stories. You, if you look, you always have like the 10 reasons why she's missing you, <laughs> the 10 best thing to become. And you have all these stupid titles that I could, and, and pe people like um, the BuzzFeed and all this, uh, this media were actually took advantage of this, you know. We're looking for constantly for guidance instead of, you know, just, you know, taking the time to brief and say, well, this is who I am and I'm not perfect and I want to live in this world and this is what I want to do. And, uh, these are the field of expertise that I want to have. And I think if you look at it in the early 20th century, or um, that was uh, uh, a lot of the, you know, the, the great things that came out were, were through people but actually decided generally to become themselves in science, making decisions, uh, in, in literature. And I don't, f I don't see that anymore. I feel like we're constantly pressured to you know, become like everyone else. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Yeah. So if the answer is uh, slow technology, uh, what, what are you planning on doing in the next couple of years to either personally or uh, as an entrepreneur take advantage of uh, this potential? So um, I've been in, uh, in investing quite a lot of time in, uh, in, in culture and the process. You know, I, I, I actually uh, am a big believer in tools, better tools for, um, for example, on my iPad, I uh, use very minimalistic uh, writing tools now trying to, to use distraction-free uh, platform. I'm also um, trying to build, um, we're working right now on a, on a project we, we call the library, and the library is, a, is to provide every single individual with this personal, general library of content that is yours. Your library, your story of content and, and interaction of content is different from mine, and that is our, our common mutual values, you know. And. Uh, and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to see if technology can actually make us more, uh, you know, can really empower us as individuals rather than being now a, uh, you know, a sheep, connected sheep, because that's <laughs> what I feel we're becoming every day. But it's very hard because you go against it. I'm an anti-trend. I've always been anti-trend in a way. But I, I think when you talk to people and tell them that you don't really care about a new iPhone, you don't really care about the Apple Watch. 
uh, I'm actually more excited by the pebble because it's uh, it comes from a, a a smaller company who has a vision where when I think who are more connected to their customers. Yes, mm. when Apple is more like I wouldn't say a defensive move, but Apple needs to show the market that they they can sell additional product, and the iPad is not this new thing. Uh, so we need to find something else. The problem as well, and I, I as uh, also for me, is that these companies have values that I don't respect anymore. They don't pay the taxes in France, in Europe, in the U.S. They just you know pile up cash in the Virgin Islands and the tax haven, and uh, they they don't really inject the money back in the well in the case of Apple, in the U.S. economy as as much as they should. The we all care about the environment, but the fact that we actually produce. You know, a turnover of hundreds of millions of phones every year is bad for the environment. No matter what you say, you can say I do. You know, <laughs> I do a better way job as as you know. Of, of a, but we still use conflict free, not conflict free minerals. It means that we have to buy killers in Congo their minerals. We're destroying Bolivia with you know lithium. We're basically about to destroy the the Sea of Japan for rare earth because China is hungry to get more. And so I'm excited about what uh, Elon Musk is doing with Tesla or even SpaceX because these are bigger vision. They're mm -hmm. like they're not government-based vision. Like it's not for the collective. It's still uh, you know private-based company, but they have bigger vision expanding. And I wonder why Apple is not doing anything in the space or uh, you know they don't have a project loom like Google has. They don't have the Internet.org. They're just about collecting money in expensive retail places. And that really bothers me because that's not the Apple II that I, I, I had when I was a kid. That was not the original vision. Now it's only about caching. So in a way, there, at some point, uh, uh, I think consumers will actually see this as well. And they will have, I, I'm, I'm generally believing that whoever will, uh, will create brands with a, uh, with a vision, with a social vision, uh, will be extremely successful. Look at the Raspberry Pi. 5 million Raspberry Pi sold. It's unbelievable. It's a $35 computer. You can run Windows or Linux now. It's as, as good. And then you build your own case. I'm actually uh, looking to, to build a case uh, for a Jolie Book computer, a Jolie Cloud computer. Uh, uh, the case will be built in uh, refugee camps. Because it's you know it's very easy to build, but at least you would pay an ethical you know price to, to get this thing built, and you would I, I just love the idea of the computer future being built partly in Africa. I just love <laughs> that idea. I do too. <laughs> and, and Tariq, your your club sandwiches are up and it looks amazing. So it looks uh, pretty, pretty good. <laughs> I have to admit. Let's leave it there. But thank you very much for for, for speaking today. Thank you very it's much. Good to see you again. Good to see you again. <laughs> You've been listening to Between Worlds. For more episodes and information on how to subscribe to our podcast, please visit www.mike-walsh.com slash betweenworlds. <laughs>